I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. On this special episode of We Happy Few, I asked folks what they remember about September 11th. Some of this was recorded outside in Sandy, Utah, at the Healing Fields. So what do you remember about September 11th? I was in high school, and I remember I was working in the front office, and they everything just stopped. Uh, they turned on all the TVs in our school. And, yeah, I just remember the feeling of dread. Everybody was scared. What I remember about 9-11 is waking up that morning and being told by my wife to turn on the television because she had just gone off to work and I had been up late that night uh, from work the previous day. And I saw Katie Couric and Brian Gumbel on the Today Show uh, kind of reeling uh, about what had been going on and uh, that they'd already seen the, the first uh, tower hit. And then as I was watching, they noted that uh, the Pentagon had had a plane crash there and all of a sudden I realize something unbelievable is happening and I, I'm kind of in shock. I called into work and asked uh, the managing editor at the time who was uh, the news director. I was working for KSL Radio and basically it was kind of an all hands on deck situation. So I got dressed and I ran downtown and I was uh, assigned to go out to Salt Lake International Airport and I spent the day out there. It was a ghost town. They had already grounded all the flights in America. And there's all of us news people there trying to understand what's going on. And the silence of an otherwise bustling uh, you know, facility was deafening. And it was just kind of unnerving to so many of us. And as we spent more time out there, because I went out there the next day as well, uh, it was one of those situations where you knew this was something that none of us had ever seen before. And we were just trying to discern what exactly was happening. And then, of course, we found out later on it was this crazy act of terrorism that has changed our lives forever. And going to an airport has never been the same. There used to be a time when you could walk and meet your um, your visitors at the gate. That That has all gone away. And, in fact, uh, not long before that, Salt Lake International had done some renovations so that they could have better uh, concessions closer to people uh, so that they could, you know, generate, you know, more money for the airport. And all of that had to be redesigned because of that. It has uh, been one of those things that every year I think about the, that moment of waking up and it, it's still a shock today. And to think that it's almost been 20 years, it's um, it's. It's still kind of moving. It's still kind of scary. And I hope that one day we'll be better for it. I don't know if that's happened just yet, though. Um, I don't really remember anything about 9-11. I wasn't really born. Pretty much all I remember is just growing up in, you know, a post-9-11 America 
where there's just a lot more Islamophobia and a more more freaking out about terrorism and just more general racism towards the Middle East. I think we should remember, but I do not think that all the circum or all the repercussions that happened because of 9/11 should still be happening or should have happened in the first place. Um, we ended up generalizing like all of the Middle East essentially and just assuming that it was all being bombed and it was like a big desert and stuff like that. Um, but we also got much more careful about things. And I do think that was good. Like we got much more careful about like the TSA at airports and stuff like that. And so I think that's good. But, um, there's just a lot of Islamophobia that came about. Uh, September 11th, 2001, I was stationed in Heidelberg, Germany. And so I was actually home from work before I realized anything had happened back here in the States. And because of the delay and because of how things are, I didn't really understand what was happening. I started seeing reports online, and the Internet was not what it is today, so I was getting choppy, broken-up reports and trying to understand. And, and as it started to become clear that we were under attack, I went back into work. Everybody got called back in. We didn't know how widespread it was or what was going to happen, and we were on a heightened state of alert all night long at the headquarters of 5th Corps in Heidelberg. And in the morning, as we were leaving the headquarters, um, I was surprised to see piles of flowers and um, signs that the local German community had placed at the gate. And this is a community we didn't always get along with, but we came together that morning after everybody realized what had happened. And so that's what I remember most was the unity we felt, not only as a nation, but even among our friends in the world. So I remember waking up, uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, on the way into school, uh, you know, we were hearing about it on on the radio. They said that a plane had crashed into, you know, one of the towers in New York, and we thought it was an accident. And by the time I was at school and we were in my world history class, and uh, my teacher turned on the news for us, and while we were watching, we watched as the second plane hit the other tower. And I remember just in, me, in the faces of me and my friends, we were all furious, because we understood that it wasn't an accident at that point. You know, we wanted to go out and get something done. I remember I was in the shower, getting ready for work. I worked at a university, and my wife came in and said, hey, you got to come see this. Uh, airplane just crashed into one of the twin towers and I just thought that was crazy and I went out um, to see what was going on just in time to see the second airplane crash and still not knowing what was going on but knowing that two wasn't a um, wasn't an accident something serious was happening and then shortly after the towers fell and it wasn't too long after that that I remember talking to my wife about wanting to join the military. I'd been in the military before and wondered if I could still serve. And sure enough, I could. Well, by then I was retired from the Navy and uh, was a school teacher. So I was on my way to the school and heard on the radio just, just as I was pulling in the parking lot about the first airplane. and 
being a pilot, I was kind of concerned about how does a plane like that run into a building? And uh, went in my classroom, turned on TV, and time to second plane hit the uh, tower and said to myself right then, this is a terrorist attack. There was no doubt in my mind that that's that's what it was. I was kind of leaning that way when the first one hit, but then when the second one, there was there was no doubt that this was a terrorist attack, and uh, wondered uh, what was going to come next. And uh, of course, it wasn't too long after that that the Pentagon got hit, and then uh, shortly after that school had started so I had class and some of the kids were aware of what had happened uh, most actually weren't and this was a third grade class so we just talked about briefly what had happened and, uh, and kind of left it at that and then in the ensuing days talked about it in a little more detail and, and, uh, and maybe what that meant to them in their lives and of course in the days after by then their families were all aware of it and, and they talked about it somewhat at home as well yeah I remember um, being at school and someone saying turn the TV on and we were in the office and they showed the first plane hit and we all stood there um, just horrified and um, I remember being scared after the second plane hit and then I remember checking on my daughter, who actually went to the school I worked at, and the kids were all very upset. And then the whole day, I just had this feeling of being under attack and feeling an overwhelming sense of sadness. And my son had left the Air Force Academy and was in the military then as a pilot. And. Uh, just made me almost a little bit um, scared so yeah I was in eighth grade so we did a paper out and I came home from the paper out and the news was on and we saw the first plane hit and then from there I went to school and I remember just watching it the whole day throughout school so I'd be in I remember it was specifically like geography class where we sat and we watched and it was just a solemn quiet, weird, nothing nothing like it ever had happened, and it was just, it was uh, weird the whole day. We watched it in every single class, went home, watched it all day, and it was, you knew, I, I mean, I was young, so I knew something was wrong, something was different, but that, it didn't quite register or click that it was so enormous, and as I got older, you could, you could see how impactful it was and how different our whole world is now because of it. So on September 11th, we lived in Alaska. My dad was in the Army. Um, and so he would get up early and go and work out. I was in bed sleeping because it was so early in the morning. And I remember him frantically waking us up saying, Come on, get up, get up, get up. You need to come watch this. And I remember thinking, What in the world is going on? Still dark outside. And we went into the living room and he had the TV on. And for the first part, I was like, what is going on? It was kind of foggy. And then I started to click what was going on. He kind of explained it to me. Um, and we spent the entire day watching it. We went to school. We watched it all day at school. 
We came home from school. We watched it until we went to bed that night. Um, and there were lots of conversations in our home about kind of what was going on and who these people were. Uh, I was in middle school, and uh, my I was in my math class, and my teacher turned on the television and stopped his lesson, and, and uh, the first plane had hit, and so the, the building was just kind of smoking, and, and everybody was just kind of shocked that, you know, something had happened and concerned. And, uh, you know, I just remember after the second plane hitting, uh, there was a girl in my class, you know, she started to break out into tears because her dad worked in the World Trade Center and she had just visited him over the summertime and, and just, you know, was in a panic, essentially. And, you know, it just it made it really hit home and, and feel real, you know, because seeing it on television seems surreal. But uh, to have somebody right there next to you, your classmate, even if you're a kid, you can see that, wow, this is, this is a, a terrible thing. The morning of September 11th, I was actually driving home from dropping my kids at school when my sister-in-law called me and asked me if I was watching uh, TV or the news. And um, I said, no, I'm driving. And she said, well, um, somebody flew a plane into one of the World Trade Centers um, or Trade Towers. And we had been in New York the month before. And um, so... I went home and I, I, my immediate response was, um, is it, uh, was it a mechanical issue? Because I, in my mind, I saw what sometimes happens where a small plane, a commuter plane or individual pilot will accidentally get lost or disoriented and, you know, fly into, usually it's a mountainside, but I thought, you know, maybe he did that over Manhattan or she did that over Manhattan. Anyway, I got home. I got home about 10 minutes before the second plane hit and saw that happen live on TV as reporters were um, talking to people about what they had seen and heard and were experiencing, people who'd left the buildings. Um, And I just won't ever forget listening, just watching TV. And uh, I remember the reporter was Ashley Banfield, and she was just covered in white dust and... Um, her glasses, everything. People were running. They were trying to get to safety. People, they were asking people to let them inside businesses or buildings. Um, one guy didn't have a shoe on, but he still had his briefcase, and he was running. Um, and then afterwards, um, I remember a, a, a press conference with Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and one of the reporters asked him if he had any idea what the final um, number of dead or wounded and would be because so many people were still missing. And I I just won't ever forget that he said, um, we don't know, and whatever it is, whatever the number turns out to be, it will be too great to bear. And I just remember thinking that was the best answer I'd ever heard in a tragic situation like this, because we do get focused on quantifying things and analyzing them and boiling them down to to facts and figures and these were people people who maybe forgot to kiss their wife goodbye or um promised their kid they'd be at a basketball game that afternoon and they were at work you know and I have since visited the museum we visited just again just last year and uh they had the um one section of the of the museum 
is the lights that firefighters wear um, so they can be found. They're locating lights. And they make a little sound, a little chirping noise, and, they're, and they have a flashing light on them. And I remembered watching that day when I'm watching reporters run and, and people run and, and try to take cover and, and covered in debris that the aftermath, the camera panned, and you could hear that chirping noise. It was very eerie and silent and unlike anything I'd seen before. And you all only could hear that chirping noise. And I didn't know what it was for quite some time. And then finally somebody said that that was the locators that firefighters wore. And I just, uh, again, another sort of sensation, the hearing of that, um, that when I was in the museum brought me right back to that moment. And... Um, Understanding the gravity of how many rescue workers were lost in the rubble because their beacons were sounding. Um, and, you know, it's just not uh, something I think I'll ever forget or get over or move past. And I imagine it's this way for everybody who my parents talk about some of the seminal moments that they experienced in their lives but uh you know this one was significant because it was like um December 7th um you know an attack on Pearl Harbor you know it was an attack on us here and doing what we do and living our lives and so I think that's why it just uh stings so much Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.
a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.